and welcome to the Freestyle podcast series, bringing you real stories from those living with diabetes. We hear about the challenges they face and hope to provide some inspiration for living your best life. I'm Elizabeth Hughes and I'm your host for this episode and my guest is psychotherapist and chair of Diabetes UK Bromley, Ken Tate. Ken lives with type 2 and he's keen that people with diabetes support each other irrespective of the type of diabetes they live with. He is also a strong advocate that people with type 2 should have equal access to diabetes technology to support the management of their condition. Please remember that before making any changes to your diabetes management, discuss these with your healthcare team first. Welcome to the Freestyle Podcast, Ken. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Can you tell us about your diabetes diagnosis and how it changed your life? In 1999, I had so many colds, one after the other, and my girlfriend at the time said, you need to go and see the doctor. So I went, took some bloods, and at nine o'clock on a Monday night, I always remember this, this is the 30th of March, he said, uh, you've had diabetes. I said, oh, I'm going to send you to the diabetes clinic. But then before that, I went through to the kitchen, made myself a cup of tea with milk and two sugars, and that's the last time I had milk and sugar in my tea. <laughs> wow. Well, let me ask you, you've just mentioned there you now don't have milk and sugar in your tea. That's the last time. What other significant adjustments to your lifestyle following your diagnosis have you had to make? Learn how to inject myself, because I started immediately on injections, only two, one in the morning, one in the evening. But that has since changed to multiple daily injections where I can do anything up to about six or seven injections a day. So uh, that's changed. But it gives me the freedom to eat things that uh, other people think they can't eat or shouldn't eat because I'm on insulin, so I can counter the, the carbs. So it's giving you flexibility? More flexibility, yeah. Unfortunately, some people are frightened of this, that uh, insulin is necessary. Everybody has insulin. You know, your body makes it. Absolutely. And how do you find having to take insulin? I mean, how many years have you been on a basal bolus regime? 23 years now. So it's uh, kind of get used to it. It's almost like uh, riding a bike now. You, you don't forget. What other adjustments have you had to make to your lifestyle now you've got type 2 diabetes? I didn't understand diabetes. I knew something. I thought it was like uh, people with, uh, as type 1 at the time. I didn't know there's different types. I thought, well, I was going to have to do an injection on my leg with a big needle and all that sort of thing. But actually knowing how to control it, uh, apart from people telling me, oh, you eat your five a day and have two digestive biscuits at uh, tea time or lunchtime or whatever, that was it. I didn't really change very much for the first 20-odd years. It wasn't until I started doing it in diabetes advocacy and I started learning a bit more about what diabetes was about. And I started to understand that, in a sense, not shouldn't eat certain foods, but reduce the amount they eat. And I just go on from there to be much more freer rather than restrict myself to any type of diet. So I'm interested to delve in a little bit deeper. You're a psychotherapist. How important do you think support networks are for people living with diabetes? And how have they helped you? Very important. When I moved down to Bromley from Edinburgh in 2013, I went to my GP. She said, right, I'm going to look after your diabetes. And I thought, okay. I had an endocrinologist in Edinburgh. Now I've got a GP. Then she left the surgery and there was nobody around. 
So I started a peer support group for type 2 originally because I thought, well, I don't know much about it. This is, as I said, this is where I started to learn more about the diabetes world. And other people must be in the same boat as me. So I started this peer support group because I thought it would be useful and it's still going. We meet once a month on a Saturday and everybody, you know, comes along. And how has that helped you and how does the network help other people coming together to your diabetes network? We exchange ideas. Everybody's diabetes is different, and even though it's maybe called type 1 or type 2 or whatever, but things will work for me that might not work for you. So you've tried something and you think, well, it didn't work, and somebody else says something, so you try that. And it's a mixture of trying to get something that works for you to help you live a good life. I'm very much into quality of life. So I guess also you're sharing tips and ideas with each other, but just coming together in that support network, that must also just enable you to feel more comfortable living with it, knowing that you've got a support group around you. Absolutely. To me, if you're not in a support group, you need to find one because diabetes is a very lonely disease. A lot of people tend to think, well, I'm just coping but they can do better than just coping. They can be much more involved in what they want to do. It could become a, a social area as well. We have a Christmas meal, you know, we haven't had it for the last two years because of COVID, but, uh, you know, we become friends and that is useful as well. Absolutely. And what do you think about the support online and on social media? I'm quite active on social media. However, I don't go into certain areas because there is this area between type one and type two both types are dangerous. Both types are not easy because, you know, they seem to think it's an easy disease, type 2 diabetes. All you have to do is eat less and exercise and you'll go into remission. It doesn't work like that. Not for everybody. Some people it will, but others won't. I know you've come up with an acronym for STIGMA. Can you tell us more about that and your experience of STIGMA? Last year. I was asked to give a talk. I chose stigma. I sat down and it just suddenly came to me what it was. It's basically S is for shame, the shame of having type 2. T is a technology that we don't get because we are type 2 rather than type 1. I is for the insulin, which is used as a threat. If you haven't been behaving yourself, your numbers are all over the place, you, you all go on insulin. G is the guilt that we have of having type 2, you know, it was our fault. M is the media, and we tend to be seen as the easy diabetes. We're lazy, we're eating all the wrong foods, etc. where it's not the case. And A is just having the acceptance, being accepted by everybody and not just being left out in the lurch. And how do you personally challenge the stigma then? It depends on what's being said. And if somebody says, um, should you be eating that? And I usually say, well, if it's not poisonous, then I mean, I'm definitely going to eat that. Or as somebody once said, I thought it was quite good. If it's on my plate, I'm going to eat it. It's trying to educate them. It's about showing people that we are not just easy people, you know, having easy diabetes. And that to me is paramount. And getting that message across all areas of people with diabetes and also the clinicians and things. We really need to be much more forceful we're very quiet having a voice isn't it that's the word yes and that's why you're here with us today Hopefully. Having, yeah great thanks ken so 
having pricked your finger for 22 years, what's been your biggest learning from using the Freestyle Libre 2 system? The Libre, I started testing it out in, in 2021 because I thought, well, I need to find out what this is about. So I had to buy it myself, so I self-funded it. What I found was that actually opened my eyes, big style, to what uh, diabetes was doing in my body and how my food reacted to it and how the insulin actually even reacted to that, the whole thing, which I would never have known just by pricking your finger. Because pricking your finger, you're only getting a moment in time. Whereas the laborer, you're getting an almost constant flow of what's actually happening. You know when your sugar levels are going up and when they're going down. Whereas if you prick your finger, you have no idea. Although people have been doing it for many years, having the technology now, we need that for people with type 2 as well as type 1. So it should be for everyone. That's my view. You're passionate, Ken. Clearly see that the advocacy for equality between people with type 1 and type 2. Do you think that the updated NICE guidelines will help to provide more equal access to diabetes technology and to really change that T of stigma? It is a, probably a very small step in that there aren't some people with type 2 where they have multiple mobilities with it, but it's all about money. You know, type 1 are getting it, no problem. I have no problem with that at all in any shape or form, but we don't have that opportunity. You think how much eye problems and everything else cost, the commissioners in the NHS look at a short term rather than the long term. And that needs to change. So, Ken, what do you think the next steps will be to enable broader access for technology for people with type 2? Good question. I think we need to change people's minds about how type 2 is and what it is. As I said, the perception is that it's an easy diabetes, that all you have to do is go on these diets, you'll go into remission, and you'll be fine. My problem with that is, and I see on social media, a lot of people that say, I'm on this diet, and I'm going to be on it for life. That's false, in a sense, because a trigger will happen, and they start eating the wrong foods, as they would see it. And guess what? The diabetes comes back, because it's only in remission. It's not a cure, it's not, they haven't got rid of it. And then they might have to go on insulin. But even if you're on these diets, it's always good to know what type of food is causing your spikes, even though you're maybe in remission. Having the technology to see what food does to you as a person with type 2, I think is important. Everybody's diabetes is different because we all have different problems, different lifestyles, different things that we do. So the technology enables people to self-manage the diabetes because they've got visibility of what's going on inside with the glucose levels and then they can make adjustments to their lifestyle wherever they feel the need to. For example, what's happening with your glucose when you have porridge or toast or whether you've had an egg on... Egg and toast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Because you can have an egg and toast and you'll not spike. I can have an egg and toast and I'll spike. Exactly, yeah. So... You need to know what affects you. you know, and if you're having a spike, what do you do? Drink lots of water or you go on a run. Can't do the run, but I can drink lots of water. That information, because we're doing it 24-7, you know, it doesn't clock on at 9 o'clock in the morning and goes off at 5 o'clock at night. It's still there all day, all night. And seeing what actually happens at night is useful as well. 
before, if I woke up at night and said, mm, I'm not very good, you know, what is it? That it might be six. And I say, well, I need to eat something. Now, six is okay. But because I'm sleeping, I don't want to go into hypo and not know about it. So I'll eat something to raise it up a bit. When I had the, the labor, I found that the alarm will tell me if it goes down low so I can go back to sleep. So you've talked about the challenges to access technology. How do you think we can help change that um, for people with type 2 diabetes? I think we need a bigger voice. Type 1 have a huge voice in social media. They have a various people in the healthcare profession that really put the voice forward for type 1. We have very few, if any, uh, with people with voices of type 2. And we need that sort of champion to really get that message across. We don't need to be left you know, on the shelf, as one might say. Because if we are, we, there's more people going to have problems later in life, which could be adjusted beforehand. And that, to me, is wrong. And we have a saying in the diabetes world of nothing about us without us. Because we need to be at the table with a chair and a voice on an equal basis and not just a tick box. Well, thank you for having the voice and starting that conversation, Ken. And finally, what advice would you give to somebody who might be struggling with the stigma of living with type 2 diabetes? Talk to somebody. Come to a support meeting. There are a few around. There's Diabetes UK have a few. And there are also some other people like myself also have a private one. Getting that support, and it can be mentally challenging, getting that stigma all the time. And... Sometimes it comes from the sources you least expect, and that could be family and friends. So bring them along as well. <laughs> Good tip. Well, that's all we have time for on this episode. Ken, thank you very much for joining us and sharing your experiences. If you'd like to follow Ken's story, you can find him on Twitter, where he's at Bromley Diabetic. That's B R O M. L-E-Y-D-I-A-B-E-T-I-C. And if you'd like to know more information about living with diabetes, then check out our fantastic education site, Freestyle Progress. There you can find the Freestyle Libre Academy, tutorial videos, webinars, the rest of this podcast series, and lots more. That's all online at Progress. .freestylediabetes.co.uk Thank you for listening and see you next time. The information provided is not intended to be used for medical diagnosis or treatment or as a substitute for professional medical advice. Please consult your physician or qualified health provider regarding your condition and appropriate medical treatment. Individual symptoms, situations and circumstances may vary.